passage this morning is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. John Knox, Presbyterian reformer, uh, has this quote where he says, I've never once feared the devil, but I tremble every time I enter the pulpit. Now keep in mind, his first sermon started a riot. But I feel this. I always get nervous before preaching. Uh, and I've been nervous about this sermon for about a month. And even the reason I'm preaching here this morning is in large part due to the prayers of this congregation and beyond. And so thank you. And I'm going to be selfish and ask for your continued prayers. So, with thanksgiving, let's turn to this passage. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is your word, and your word doesn't return void. I pray, Lord, that that the Spirit work with the sermon that we may be blessed. And if He may work over this sermon, I pray that the Spirit do so. If the Spirit needs to work against the sermon, I ask that the Spirit does so. For if I preach anything false or untrue, that they fall upon deaf ears. And that we may be blessed by your word this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're talking about prayer today. Uh, there's many different ways to talk about prayer. There are many different directions you can go. And to be honest with you, I struggled a little bit narrowing it down. Uh, so maybe didn't do that enough, just kind of went with it. But it's good to talk about prayer. Uh, prayer is foundational to the Christian life. Prayer is essential. And it's funny, I was talking with my father uh, about this sermon. And he told me a story of our former pastor's children back when we were in the Episcopal Church. They would, they would pray before they would go into the grocery store. And at first I thought that was a little bit silly going to the grocery store after all. But then I began to think about how many times I've gone to the grocery store wanting one thing and then walking out with things completely different. Like I'd go in, like I'm going to get chicken and Brussels sprouts. And I'd walk out with a Boston button and stuff with macaroni and cheese. And how confusing stores are. And they are confusing. If you want milk just for your bowl of cereal in the morning, you have to walk through by 25 different specials and great deals before you can get what is considered an essential for the home. Stores are designed to be confusing. 
And all of a sudden, Frank before going into a grocery store doesn't seem so silly to me. And so we're, we're doing a series navigating confusing, confusing culture, but I don't have any puzzles or mazes. My confusion comes from grocery stores. I'm really bearing my soul this morning. But we're not the first culture that has lived, that, that is confusing. It's certainly not the Christians. Paul writes, is writing this letter to the Thessalonica, Church of Thessalonica. Thessalonians, they lived in a confusing culture. They were a port city of all of Macedonia, big Greek area, and all of military and commerce travel came through Thessalonica. So you had a bunch of cultural influences coming into and out of this one city. And because of its importance to Rome, both politics and religion were very intermixed. You had several different cults vying for power, and one of the most prominent ones was the imperial cult, which worshipped the Caesar as God. So if you wanted to have any political currency, you needed to worship Caesar as emperor. And so the world, becoming a Christian, the world becomes strange. Our lives, our faith, it is indeed counterculture. And we're not going to worship the ruler of any nation, no matter how great it is. We, we worship Jesus. The world doesn't, we do. So yes, we're a part of his kingdom, which makes us exiles, sojourners, foreigners in a different land. So the culture is going to be confusing. Navigating it is going to provide confusion. And so we come to this passage this morning, Paul's earliest letters, and he gives this list of exhortation. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ for you. So if you're confused, here are the things you need to do. This is what God wants for us. And so this morning, we are going to focus on prayer. And really pray without ceasing. So, yes, life can be confusing. Prayer helps us navigate the confusion. So there's two parts to this verse, pray without ceasing. There's the prayer portion and the without ceasing portion. I want to talk about the without ceasing portion because that's the time I spent years thinking about. What does Paul mean by without ceasing? The literal interpretation would be, well, everything we say or do needs to be prayer. 
or has, but what is without a doubt is our life needs to be filled with prayer, filled to the brim with prayer, overflowing with prayer. The Christian life without prayer would be like trying to navigate the wilderness or the desert without water. In John 4, Christ tells a woman who needs Jesus that I'm the living water. Come, come to me and you shall never be thirsty again. I want to say this, prayer is how we go to Jesus. It is how we go to the well that we indeed may drink. It is important, it is vital. So, Let's, let's discuss what prayer, actually, what prayer actually is. Now, I know many in this room have walked long and faithfully in the Lord, and so I hope as we discuss and dive in on what prayer is, that this is a beautiful reminder of the fundamental, one of the fundamentals of the Christian walk, of the Christian faith. And for that, some of us who are maybe younger and our faith newer to Jesus, I hope this helps build confidence and boldness in your prayer life. And so that we may all desire to participate in the act of prayer more and more often. So what is prayer? Well, first, prayer is offering up our desires unto God. We, when we pray, we're going to God and we're bringing our desires. We're bringing our fears, our joys, our confusion. We're putting ourselves and our souls before the Lord. And throughout my ministry, especially in my college ministry, I, for those of you who don't know, I spent about five years working with RUF up in Pennsylvania and in Rock Hill, uh, working with a college ministry called RUF. And I would sit down, have these very long conversations, because in your college, you're, you're finding your independence and you're making major life choices. Questions like, what am I going to major in? What career am I going to do? Who am I going to marry? What do I believe? I would have these hour, hour and a half longer conversations as these young men were working through these existential questions. They'd go into prayer, and the prayers would be God, you're amazing. Thank you for how good you are to us, and I pray that I may walk, walk faithfully in you. Amen. And that's, that's not a bad prayer. 
It really isn't. I'm, I'm all in on the adoration of God. Yes, our prayers should be filled with praise for the Lord. I'm all in on giving thanks in our prayers. I'm, I'm going to come back to that one. But when our requests become generic, that, that gives me pause. Because when we are that general, again, we do want to walk faithfully in the Lord. Our emotional honesty in prayer becomes, starts to lack. It be found wanting. Our true desires, as if we're going to hold on to them, as if we are scared to share them, or we don't want to be selfish. I, I don't know. I want to tell you this morning, God knows your desires. It's not a secret. So when you pray, fill them out. There's no need to hold back. God wants to hear from you. Jesus desires to hear from you. One of the reasons, one of the many reasons I love reading the Old Testament prophets is because you almost always know what they're thinking. With the possible exception of Ezekiel, he remains pretty silent. The rest of the prophets share everything. One of my favorite examples came from this week as we were discussing Jonah. At the end of Jonah, Jonah, at the end of the book of Jonah, Jonah is angry. If you're not familiar with this story, uh, Jonah is asked to go to Nineveh. He doesn't. God changes his mind by uh, telling him to go back to Nineveh after a couple of trials. Uh, Jonah goes, and Nineveh ends up being spared. And Jonah is angry. When I say angry, he shouts, or at least I picture him shouting, but he's very honest. He goes, I'm angry enough to die. And you read it 2,800 years later, and you're like, whoa, Jonah, whoo. But God comes to him and says, why are you angry? And Jonah says exactly why. He shares everything. He shares things that normally, normally we are like, I don't want people to know that about me. Jonah just states it to the creator of the heavens and the earth. And yes, Jonah gets rebuked for his anger because he of the reasons for his anger. He is angry for a very unjust and unloving reason. He does not have a good reason to be angry. But what he's not rebuked for is sharing that anger and bringing that angry, anger before the Lord. Yes, he is in need of correction, but he is not corrected on putting his emotional pain and hurt before God. 
He bears all of his fury. And that is, Jonah was right in doing that. The reasons for his fury was wrong. But being that raw and honest in his conversation with God, that's good. No, the Father wants to hear from you. Please, do not hold back. And where you need, where correction will be needed, the Lord will find a way to bring correction. But he listens because he loves you. So, go with confidence to the Lord. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews says this very same thing. For we do not have a high priest, that is Jesus, who is unable to sympathize without knowing weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in a time of need. Christ can sympathize. So go boldly. Be bold in your request. Don't, don't hold back. Bear your heart. Bear your desires. And please, and this is a bit of a pet peeve of mine. I think it has faded from practice a wee bit, which I'm really excited about. The way we use the word just in our prayer, and I'm guilty of this as well, when we make prayer requests and say, God, I just want this. Or if you could just bless me this way. As if we are scared to ask more of Jesus. Or if we, we don't want to burden God with more than he can handle. Jesus is our brother, and he is also the Savior of our universe. There is no reason to be timid. He knows. He, he, he carried the weight of salvation of our souls. He can carry the weight of your desires and your needs and your longings. So when you are looking for wisdom, when you are looking on how to love your neighbor, and looking how to love God, and looking to walk in the way of Jesus, be bold in your prayer. Take a step back and express your heartfelt desires with the Lord. And you do have the question, well, what if my desires don't line up with the will of God? That is very much a question. Jonah's desires did not align with the will of God. But Christ tells us, or he tells his disciples, and by extension, his people, in John 16, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So Jesus is talking to the disciples on the very night he's being betrayed. After he's giving them the great blessing of the Lord's Supper. Something that we still participate in to this day. 
And he also encourages them, when you pray, when you bring your desires before the Lord, pray in the name of Jesus. Ask in my name. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, it's not something that is rote or something we just say automatically at the end of a prayer. It's not something we should take for granted. And it's certainly not a magic genie lamp where we rub it and then all of a sudden we're going to get all of our heart's desires. No, when we are praying in the name of Jesus, it's not just the stamp at the end of prayer, but all of our prayer should be in the name of Jesus. What we are doing is we are striving to align our desires with the will of God. We are saying, I'm going to stand with Jesus. I'm here because of Jesus. He is the one who got me into the kingdom. It is by his name that I'm saved, and it will be by his name that I bring my desires before the Lord. I want my desires to align with his will. I want to pray in his name because he is the one who loves me and provided salvation. He is the one who allows me to come to the throne of God and speak. We don't get to that party by ourselves. We get there because of Jesus. And so when we go to Jesus, we go in the name of Jesus. We get to have this amazing conversation, this amazing blessing. The very God who makes the sun and the moon rise, who provides those cool breezes on hot summer days. And we may talk with him. So when we pray and we express those desires, we need to do so in a manner that says, I'm with Jesus. I'm with my Savior. It is in my, His name that I pray. And truth be told, not all of your desires are going to align with God's will for you. Not only that, you're going to walk in ways that rebel against the Lord. Yes, we strive to pray in Jesus' name, and yes, we strive to walk in the way that the Lord desires for his people. But there are times where we just simply fail to uphold the goodness of the Lord. And then there are times we actively and willfully go against God's desire for us. And so part of our prayers need to be a confession. 
bringing our sins before God. We need to go to before the Lord as we go in the name of Jesus. And we need to confess, Father, there are times when I have done evil things that are disdainful in your eyes. Because when we hold on to our sins, when we try to hide them, that's, that is not good. That is, that is a growing burden. That is a win for our spiritual enemies. David probably expresses it way better than I ever could in Psalm 32, where he writes this. When I kept silent, and he's talking about his own sins, when I kept silent, when I held on to them, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. There is a great burden in holding back. There's, there is pain there. It produces in us unhealthy fear of the Lord. And it heightens our confusion on the way we should go in the world. When we hide ourselves, when we hide our sins, navigating the world, navigating this culture, navigating going in the way of the Lord, that becomes harder because we become like Adam and Eve. Where we sin and then we're going to hide in the bushes as if God can't find us. There is no goodness in that. When your sin is presented before you, when you see your sin, when you know your sin, confess. Begin confessing in prayer. Because as David continues to write, for I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David knows there is forgiveness in God. When we look to Christ, there is forgiveness. When we confess in Christ, which is the first step of turning away from that sin and walking in the Lord, that is good. And we do this in prayer. When we confess, we are moving out of the darkness and into the light of Jesus. So as one commentator put it, do not dwell on your sin any more than Jesus does. In other words, confess your sins. Go to prayer 
with confession and pray that the Lord may sustain you and build you up as you begin to walk in the name of Jesus. Be honest. You have done things poorly. You have done things sinfully. We all have been sinned against and we have sinned against others. So in prayer, confess your sins. And walk with one another toward Jesus. And give thanks. Confess to the Lord and give thanks. This last bit of exhortation. Give thanks in all circumstances that this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Recount his blessings. In your prayers, remember who the Lord is and give thanks for his many gifts. As the psalmist says, forget not all his benefits. That will make confusing and difficult decisions much easier. Because there are times, part, I think part of the confusion of our culture, there are times in which we can go that seem easier than going the way of Jesus. It may seem easier, it may seem better, but when we give thanks in our prayers, we remember the goodness of God. We remember His blessings, we remember His love, we remember His grace. And it makes those decisions, the hard decisions that may appear tough, it helps you see the better way, the glorious way in which God offers. So take the time to remember the blessings of the Lord in your prayers and give thanks. That is good for our souls. It is good to remember His grace. It is good to help us abound and grow in His love and grace. But even with all of this, remember that we do not pray alone. The Holy Spirit is with us. In Romans 8.26, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit for Himself intercedes for us with the groanings too deep for words. <clears throat> what a tremendous verse. This verse probably should have been the whole sermon. When we pray, the Spirit is interceding for us. The Spirit is on the side of His children. He is helping us pray. Even the times we don't know what to pray for. We can't put our desires in words. We know we are sinful. We don't know how to express it. We want to give thanks, but it is tremendously hard to remember His blessings. The Spirit aids our prayers. He's working on our behalf. He takes our longings articulated and groans. 
he helps us before the Lord. That is what's happening in prayer. So why wouldn't we pray as often as we can? We get to see the fullness of God, the help of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus putting us before the throne of the Father, and we can bear our souls. And the fullness of God is with his people in prayer. Yes, our, our culture is designed to be confusing. It's designed to make you anxious. So take a moment, withdraw, and spend that time in prayer. Jesus often did it in his ministry. He did, does it early as Mark chapter 1. His ministry is just beginning. He gets up early in the morning to go to a desolate place and prays. He doesn't even tell the disciples. They have to go find him. Because Jesus is leaving to go pray. Jesus is praying for his ministry. He's praying for his people. He leaves the disciples and he prays. So take the time out of the day. Leave the things that pull you away from the Lord and pray. And it is good to have a prayer closet. It is good to go in prayer closet. But it doesn't always have to be a long prayer. One of my favorite prayers in the Bible, I have a lot of favorites in Scripture. I probably should stop using the word favorite. Nehemiah is praying before the most powerful man in the world. Jerusalem needs to be rebuilt. God's people have come back from exile. And Nehemiah wants to go help, but he's serving in the court of the emperor. And he goes to the emperor, and the emperor goes, what do you want? Nehemiah's life might be hanging in the balance at that moment. His people are hanging in the balance. And before he makes this request, before the emperor, says, Nehemiah prays. Now, the Nehemiah, as bold and great as a man as he is, he's not going to put the emperor on hold for him to walk into another room and pray and then come back and respond, give his response. So pray in the small moments. Pray in the in-between moments. Fill your lives with prayer. Let your life be drenched in prayer because you are constantly going to the Lord and sharing your soul with Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, how great a gift is that we can talk with you. I thank you for this great blessing. And let us not overlook the importance of prayer in life, but let us pray and abound in this gift of grow and let it be abundant so that we may all be a praying people. that it can be said among us that we pray without ceasing. Amen.